Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast and this is going to be one of the more stunning episodes that we present to you guys as on this week's show we are speaking to former British swimmer Ross Murdoch who shares all of the life lessons from ups and downs throughout his swimming career and beyond. Yeah, we're both very pleased to be joined by Ross on this week's episode. He has given us some amazing memories as British swim fans and possibly even better memories of the, for those Scottish swim fans listening in. Uh, can't wait for this one to, to start because it's very, very inspirational. You're going to take a lot away from it as we reflect on Ross's great career and what he plans to do now that his swim career is over. So let's have a quick listen for what's to come on this very, very special episode. Yeah, do you know, I was actually, I was talking about this probably not longer than two days ago. And, you know, I couldn't be happier that, you know, I I don't have an Olympic medal. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know, I don't think it would have made me a better person. And for me, I think that's all that matters to me right now. Now that I'm not involved in sport, it's like, it seems like the biggest thing at the time, and it absolutely is, and tell you what, see if I could go back and train again the way that I did, I would still try and win one. I would, that's the goal, it's the ultimate, like, I'm not saying, oh, win an Olympic medal, because I never got one, I'm bitter, and, you know, I'm glad I never got one, it's like, I would still go back and train my ass off, but... That now that I reflect back on reflect back on it and look at where I am in my life, I don't think it would have made me a better person. Mm. I feel happy with who I am. You know, I don't feel like I have anything to prove to to anybody, which which is a really nice place to be in at twenty nine years old. You know, I don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. My mentality changed. That's the way that it went. It went from being, you know, I'm here to try and achieve this while also being part of this team. It was. No, I'm a part of this team and I'll die for this team. Like mm-hmm. that was that was my mentality. My proudest moment in my swimming career was turning up on a Tuesday night after my first retirement and asking to come back, um, swallowing the frog, and coming back and asking my coaches if they would if they'd take me on six weeks out, exactly six weeks out from trials, and if they would take a chance on letting me back in the squad, um, because that was a time where I really really needed them. Okay, Dan. We have teased this episode, we've given clips, we've said this is very inspirational, but before we jump into this journey with Ross Murdoch, I think it's really important people understand where he has gone in his career to get to this point that we are about to talk through. So starting off Ross's career, he was a British record holder in his first Commonwealth Games. He won in his home country of Scotland. He won at Glasgow, took the world of breaststroke by storm at that point, and then essentially moved on to disappointment in Rio, where his swims just didn't quite live up to the expectation from the Commonwealth Games, where he got within like three-tenths of a world record. From there, he almost retired from the sport. In fact, he actually did retire Mm -hmm. from the sport before Tokyo. Um, And then six weeks out from trials, he made the decision to come back to the sport. And from there, from the COVID years, he has found himself discovering essentially what kind of person he is. The lessons that swimming's journey has taken him on to make him a better man. And we touch upon all of it on this podcast. Um, he shares literally no expense um, for what he learnt during this journey. 
how disappointment in the biggest of stages at the Olympic Games was actually a blessing for him. In fact, you would have just listened to a clip where Ross says he was happy not to win an Olympic medal. And I cannot wait for him Mm. to explore this with you all. So, yeah, let's just jump straight into this podcast, Dan, because it's one that people really don't want to miss. Absolutely. So, please welcome on to the podcast this week, former Scottish and GB swimmer, breaststroke commonwealth champion and double bronze medalist at the 2022 birmingham commonwealth games ross murdoch ross i have to say this is actually a podcast i've been looking forward to for a very long time uh how are things with you thanks very much for having us on guys um yeah things are are, things are going well with me um i am just sort of still trying to find my feet in retirement to be quite honest you know that's just over 12 months really since I, i stopped any form of um, organised swimming, mm. um, so it's it's definitely it's, it's all it's been a been a real challenge. Like that retirement and walking away from sport is is tough, man. It's really hard. Mm. Um, but I have I've been doing really well. I've been doing really well in the last um, probably three four months. I've been like you know I'm, I'm actually starting to feel quite settled in who I am away from sport and uh, and what exactly it is I want to do now that I feel comfortable myself again, like how I can how I can try and contribute to the world of the sport. Absolutely. Now, we'll get on to the retirement things, but before we get to that, I think what we'd love to do on this podcast is reflect on what is one of the finest careers in British swimming. Um, but before, before we do that, I'd like to know as a retired athlete, have you had time to reflect yet? Yeah, um, to be honest, it's, it's one of those ones I see at the minute. I sometimes... Uh, I'll go in and I'll speak to some of my colleagues or something like that, and I'll be like, guys, I'm knackered, you're going to need to take take the reins for a I've just swam 6k overnight. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm still dreaming about it all the time. Like, I'm not lying, Like I dream about swimming all the time, so it's still it's still very much at the forefront of my mind. Um, so I spend a lot of time reflecting, a lot of time thinking about it, and potentially how different my life would have been had I not had the experience as an athlete, um, you know, I, I think a lot about, you know, I went back to my old school, uh, Balfour High School, they, they named the pool there after me, and I was there and I met some of my old teachers and things, and uh, they gave me my report card, pretty much like, you know, finishing my, my sixth form at school, being like, oh, this is Ross's predicted grades, this is what he likes to do, this is kind of what he wants to wants to be, etc. and stuff like that. Um, and it was just like, you know, I had absolutely no business saying those dreams at the time. Like, I was just not <laughs> the kind of guy that you'd expect to go to, you know, one Commonwealth Games, never mind, you know, the rest. Um, that definitely wasn't who I was as a character at school. You know, I was a lot quieter, a lot more reserved. Like, I'm quite an introverted person at heart. So, I, 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 do, I do reflect quite a lot. Um... So I, I do a lot. Of, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, sometimes it's happy. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the the alternative. You know. Sometimes it's you know. You always try and be happy that it happened rather than sad that it's over. But a lot of times, you know, it definitely comes and goes in terms of you know that you know being fully satisfied. Um, you know, I am satisfied with my career, but there are times that it's just like God. I wish I was still in it. <laughs> yeah, so that, that was one of my questions. Like, do you look back over your swimming career quite fondly? Because I remember listening to a podcast clip uh, from Michael Jameson, and he swears he'll never go near a pool again. So that's never crossed your mind either. Yeah, I did see that podcast actually, um, but 
like I haven't and, and on, on to tell the truth I was training for a little bit um, probably between December and May I was probably going in like three two two to four times a week so it was nothing serious and I was just doing it myself so I was up at the, the pool in Stirling so I still got a membership there and I was just kind of doing that around and you know I was enjoying it but I went I did a masters competition and I was like it's too soon it's too oh, soon really? so um, you know I just found myself slipping down and this is into that same mentality and it's like I you know I don't I don't need to be that guy anymore and I'm not that person anymore I, I need to try and find who I am away from that environment um, you know I want to do it for fun if I was going to do it I want to do it for fun I don't want to do it you know because that's what people expect me to do you know you yeah. turn up at a meeting and everybody's like oh you're going to smash it blah, 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 and you're like that's not why I'm here. I'm here to enjoy myself. Can yeah. you just give me, give, give me that, give me, a, give me peace. Um, yeah. So, but no, I wouldn't say that I'm t- completely against swimming. Like I do look at back at it very fondly. Um, it it totally changed my life. Totally changed my life, and I see it for what it is. Um, it was such a, it was an opportunity um, for me to to be, you know, something completely different than what was potentially destined for me. Where. You know what, 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 what I felt like growing up. You know, felt very misunderstood. I didn't know who I was. Didn't know my place in the world. But swimming gave me this opportunity to discover who I was, and you know, I'll never ever forget what it gave me. Um, I, that's one of the things I appreciate the most about it. So I wouldn't say that I'm away from swimming forever. Um, you know, uh, I do enjoy swimming in the pool. I enjoy swimming open water probably more so now. Um, really. Interesting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Like, just I like not being bound. I, I like not being, you know, bound up and down the lane. You know, the black line as it is. You know, I like that freedom. You know, when when COVID hit, actually, um, mm. I did a lot of jogging. I started jogging. Like, I'm doing more jogging now, but I started jogging in lockdown, and I was like, God, this is so refreshing. This is so different. Like, you're not just swimming straight up and down. And then I started doing open water swimming then as well, and I was like, this is completely different. Actually, it's quite disorientating if you don't have that wee line. <laughs> yeah. You stand up and your legs are there and you fall over. <laughs> it's really interesting. We spoke to um, Dan Wallace about like his journey out of swimming, and he, he's mm-hmm. very much the same. Like he's now fully open water. That's the only thing he does. That's the only thing I do. Like I can't yeah. go near a pool again. I just, yeah. I don't know what it is. I just always. There's too many comparisons. Whereas in say, the open yeah. water, it feels like a whole different sport. Like you're 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 swimming, you're using the same skills, but it, it's not swimming as you've known it before. Um, and it, it sounds like it's kind of helped your journey out of retirement because so many, or helped your journey into retirement because so mm. many swimmers like have that abrupt moment, like at the end of the biggest meets of say the Olympics or Commonwealth Games, and they go, "I'm done," and mm they're almost lost trying to find a purpose but it doesn't sound like you had that moment if i'm right in thinking like when you when birmingham was done you didn't use the words i'm done you didn't use the words i'm retiring and it sounds like you you gave it a little go a bit of a soft training to see what happened and maybe that has helped your love for swimming still be there yeah potentially um because you know i've I've always kind of struggled with the idea of retirement from mm. sport. You know, I've always kind of struggled with the term sort of retirement from sport, um, b- 
because I've never looked at it really. I mean, there definitely was a period of time where it felt like a job and I wasn't enjoying myself. But for the most part, it always just felt like a hobby that got out of hand. And you know, for me, it was it was never a job. Mm. So I'm like, I'm not retiring from it. It's just got to the point now where, you know, I mean, you only need to look at what happened. You know, this past year with that 200 breaststroke world record, like mm. <laughs> this isn't my game anymore. You know. Like, <laughs> This is this is somebody else's playground now. Um, you know, it's time for me to move on, um, and that's that's the magic thing about sport is it does move on. It's incredible the way it moves on and how quickly it can just mm. it literally the bubble just bursts and away away mm. it goes. Um, it's so funny you should say that because Dan Wallace said exactly the same thing because he was comparing the two hundred three times like Duncan's now going one forty four and he was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can't do that." Uh, sorry, no, two hundred. I am sorry. Duncan's going yeah. one fifty five. He's like, "Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. I think I left at the right sort of time." It's interesting. You should say the same thing. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny actually. I got a text from my dad the morning after um, that lad broke the broke the, the two breast world record. He was like, "Ah, you got out the right time, son." And I was like, "Thanks, dad." <laughs> Thank God you left. <laughs> oh God. Well, I think maybe the two hundred breaststroke is a really good place to start the career reflection. So the two thousand and fourteen Commonwealth Games mm-hmm. was where you won almost your breakout gold against then the very heavy home favourite Michael Jameson. So what was it like touching the wall? Um because on the face of it, like looking back, it was sheer disbelief mm. that it had happened. Yeah, it was complete disbelief. So I'll, I'll go a wee bit further back. So if I go back to probably about 2008 or 2009, um, maybe probably about 2009, it was probably the, the I didn't swim a your breaststroke long course from probably about 2009 until January 2012 I didn't swim a long course two breasts because I hated it it was absolutely just despised it um, I remember doing a two in the breast that was maybe like the Scottish age groups or a West District long course or something like that at Toll Cross and I got absolutely demolished and it was like the most painful thing that I'd ever experienced in my life <laughs> and I was like walking down I was like these goggles are staying on because my eyes are watering I hate it <laughs> <laughs> I'm marching to the pool and I'm never doing this again and uh, I remember my dad you know trying to give me a bit of a pep talk and I was like no I'm putting my foot down I am never doing that again you know I'm like only like 14 or 15 but at that point in time I was like no way I'm a 50 guy now Forever, forever more. I'm a fifty guy, um, and you know, flash forward, fast forward to 2011. I made the is it the the Institute of Sport in Scotland for the fifty breaststroke. Just you know, so I was on like a limited contract type thing with the Institute of Sport, where you know I wasn't given the same level of funding as everybody else who was on the gold squad. Um, you know, there there was no trust in the fact that I would ever do anything in sport. It was almost kind of laughable the support that I got at the time. Um, to be quite honest and uh, you know they kind of said right you need to buck up your ideas and, and ha- have a serious think you know we're not going to fund you for a second year just a 50 we're changing the policy to stop all this nonsense with people just swimming 50s it was like at a time when you know nobody wanted to support athletes who were 50 swimmers at all really other than the 53 obviously um, given that you know there's still a lot of potential within Commonwealth Nations to swim 50s it didn't make sense to me 
But anyways, sat down with my coach at the time. I'm like, right, let's let's shoot for the hundred. But you know, I don't really have a back end for a hundred at the moment. So you need to do the two hundred as well, Ross. I'm like, oh god, here we go. So <laughs> I need to, I need to pick this this stuff back up. Um, but I went from training about three four times a week in the pool and a couple of times in the land. I'm age seventeen at this point, so I went training three four times a week up to eight times a week in the pool and uh, three land sessions with one or two of them being at the Institute of Sport in Glasgow and I, hands down that's probably one of the most uh, influential things that's ever happened to me in my career was being part of the Institute of Sport I found it to be an absolutely incredible place filled with incredible staff and incredible people that were just you know all like-minded and all pushed in the same direction um, and it really started there at the Palace of Arts in uh, Bella Houston um, absolutely fantastic facility I'm gutted it's not an institute facility anymore because it was it was an absolutely crazy place but you know I just turned up every day and just worked, worked hard um, Jimmy will be able to tell you more about it than me <laughs> uh, Jimmy Orr he was my coach at the time um, I swam with Jimmy actually a couple of weeks ago and we're reminiscing about this stuff but uh, you know we got to the Olympic trials in 2012 and uh, I was all geared up to try and make the 100 breast for the European Juniors and I was like, right, this is it, my only chance at getting my funding for next year, my only chance of ever being a swimmer, um, all this sort of stuff, and I got disqualified <laughs> in the heats. Um, I'd, I got disqualified, I think that's my, my actual claim to fame, was I was the first person disqualified in the London pool. <laughs> <laughs> Day one of the London Olympic trials, uh, I think I was maybe like lane two, lane one some like an awful lane for <laughs> to for the judges to be watching you so yeah i got absolutely i got absolutely scorned i'd, I'd gone too deep and started to turn onto my front or sorry turn on at my back and then i kind of parted my legs to stop me to try and okay. recorrect my body but they're like yeah that's freestyle kick mate you're done <laughs> so i'm not disqualified for doing freestyle kick in a breaststroke race what an absolute duffer um but i uh so then two days later I had to swim the 200 breast and I was like there's no chance I'm getting this and you know I'll never forget um, walking away that day from the from the 100 breaststroke um, I was gutted, I was crying, I was devastated um, and you know I was walking out with Jimmy and he was like nah don't worry about it like you know you've got the 200 in a couple of days, I've seen the way you've been training, you know we can do something and at the time a couple of members of staff from Scottish Swimming uh, were walking back towards the pool to sort of do some work before the final session, the semi-finals and stuff like that and I'll never forget the, the look that they gave us because we were um, we're walking away and I don't know if I've ever told this story but we're walking away and uh, they were like, oh, hard lines Ross, you know, better luck next year, that type of thing, it was all quite jovial and uh, I was like, alright, okay, well, that's fine because I was just a quiet young boy and uh, Jimmy turned around and goes, what are you talking about? You swim the 200 in two days? And they were like, oh, this lad, 50 boy, sprint boy, he's not doing anything in that. And Jimmy turned around and was like, shut your mouth, he's going to go 214, he's going to qualify for the European Juniors. And I was like, oh, Jimmy, why have you said that? Man? Why have you said that? I was like, head in my hands moment. I was like, Jimmy, I appreciate the trust, mate. I totally appreciate the trust, but... Like, I can't believe you said that to these guys. Like, they're, 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 these are big players. And I was like, I don't want to get any bother with these guys. Um, and right enough, two days later, I came in and went like a seven and a half second PB and went 2.14. And it was just out of just pure, just F you. Like, yeah. you think that of me? Watch this. Hold my beer. 
Watch us. <laughs> so <laughs> so then, is that where the the change in mindset came from? Like from 100%. purely negativity in your own part, mm-hmm. suddenly you had something to prove wrong. 100%. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm sure you could speak to some of the guys who first were around Sterling when I first moved there. Is I was filled with that sort of everything to prove and anger a lot of times. Like I was, I was quite an angry young man, like lost in the world trying to find his place, trying to always prove something and always being behind, you know. Um, so I was quite like that, you know, as a type of guy, you know. But then even then, back then in Sterling, that, that, that was the kind of squad we had. We had a squad of people that was just like holding each other to a higher standard. It's one of the things I really, really treasured about that group. You know, I was still really close with a bunch of those guys, but it was the type of place where it was like, if you turned up and, you know, you saved all your energy for the last rep, we all know one of those guys. Um, so, like, if you'd done that, somebody was shouting and bawling at you. <laughs> yeah. and like, the coaches yeah. didn't have to police you because we policed ourselves. You were, you better believe that somebody gave you a hard time if you were if you were saving up during a set. And uh, that was the atmosphere I was raised in, in, in Sterling. And honestly, I, I do believe that it was one of the things that contributed to me being as good as I got at, at swimming. Mm. Um, but definitely that sort of everything to prove and that sort of um, anger kind of fueled a lot of my early early days, um, all the way through 2013 and into 2014. There was just so much that I had to prove. Um mm. But I think it was it's kind of a short fuse. I don't think it necessarily lends itself to longevity. Um I found that off the back of twenty fourteen, again some people think success looks after itself. Um and I definitely think at the time sport thought success looks after itself and we need to look after people who don't succeed because the ones who have failed are obviously going to be sad. You know, those are the ones that, you know, might have you know, some sort of mental health issues or some sort of struggles off the back of it. But I actually found the opposite. And if I look back through the careers that I've had, I often find it was the times that the people who were successful, they're the ones that generally had the most issues or the, the, the things that they, they really struggled with. Because, again, you touched on it earlier and it's something that I'm really passionate about now in retirement is purpose. Like, that word mm-hmm. purpose like, see when you have a purpose, like, my entire being was sent for swimming a 50 breaststroke at the 2014 Commonwealth Games, mm. and I qualified in all three, and then I won the 200, it's like, like, my purpose was just to be there for one event, never mind do that, like, how on earth am I going to know who I am once I've done that, mm. and it was, it was such a difficult thing, um, I suppose, it it's because, it's, I suppose it's because you, you've done it, like you've, you've achieved it. The idea yeah. was to try and win Commonwealth gold, yes, in the 50, but you came away with a 200. But then you're, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, what next? You know, because the time you swam, like it was a British record and very close to the world record. Like yeah. it was an outstanding swim. And then you're thinking, well, what happens next? I suppose the next aim, I guess, in your mind maybe was the world record. I don't know if that was true or not. Oh, yeah, at the time it definitely was. Um you know, the, at the time it was like, right, I'm going to have to be the first man that goes under 207. I need to be the first 206 ever. It was kind of immediately onto that mentality. Um <clears throat> was just like, right, what's next? But I found it really difficult to, you know, not to have motivation or anything. I was always, like, really motivated for training, but I really struggled that year. Like, I got glandular fever. Um, mm. 
or diagnosed with it in the November, but we were away in Sierra Nevada for three weeks, and <laughs> I was a mess. I was so ill. <laughs> I was so ill. Um, but uh, I just kept training. Um, never really had the option to take it off. I kind of had to keep pushing, so I just kept pushing while I was there and end up uh, being to my detriment. Um, but yeah, it was one of those ones like, you know, I, I, I wish I could go back to, if, if I could go back to one point in my career, it would probably be to that moment and put my foot down and be like, I am not training, regardless of where I am right now, doesn't matter what training camp I'm on, you will not see me in the pool, regardless of the consequences. If I could go back to one moment, I would probably have stopped while I was up there and not trained until I got back home because I was, I was not well. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. interesting. I think like swimming's changed a lot more now, even though that was only, what, nine years ago? Like, I I feel like the way swimmers are looked after now, and the fact that if they need a break, they're given a break, and the whole missing one session isn't the end of the world. I feel like that's come back around. Like, gone are the days of Phelps swimming on Christmas Day and stuff like that. I just don't think swimming's in that place anymore, and I think Mm -hmm. that might be why. Like, times have moved on again because there's there's so much more happy swimmers in the water like they're getting properly looked after mentally yeah yeah definitely i think that i mean certainly when i look back at my own best swims it was definitely when i was just the happiest as a person mm. um you know look at get the person thriving and you know the results and the successes follow really that's that's my opinion on on life and things like that um mm. So definitely, you notice it. You notice it, and when someone's comfortable, you see it as well. Like we, we talk about, you know, the podcast here, want to show off like the personalities of, of swimmers and things like that. And it's like, you know, you don't often see it on the poolside, but if someone is truly happy, you know, you get to see who they are. Like you will, you will see them because you know they're not going to have their guard up, and if their guard isn't up, it's my opinion that they'll they'll swim well. They'll swim to their ability, um, mm. which is inspiring. Mm. We have a lot of uh, amazing breaststrokers, obviously, in this country. Are you kind of still surprised that that 200 breaststroke swim back then is still the British record? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, that there is part of me that that was expecting Wilbs to to take it at, at one mm. point. You know, he was he was on absolute fire, and you know, there's still time yet. You know, there's still time for it to go, and there's no doubt that it will go. Um, you know, I think for in terms of Scottish records, you know, Archie Goodburn. Uh, blew my 50 uh, Scottish record out of the park um, last year so it's great to see how many breaststrokers are, are coming through um, you know sometimes you know me and Craig Benson we would, we would talk about you know like the glory days of British swimming and the <laughs> breaststroke and you'd be like my god it was just a dog fight to make the final it was like yeah, what yeah. is this um, yeah. like Commonwealth Games in 2014 was just a glorified British final there was only one guy that wasn't British in it it was like yeah. You know, we were we 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 had this at every single meet the whole year, um, you know. But it's nice to see it sort of that sort of you know dissipate with you know when when Willis retired, it was kind of like you know a lot of retirements happened off the back of twenty eighteen. So it was just kind of like obviously myself, Craig, Adam, and, and James. It was just kind of us sort of around there. But now it's really starting to ramp up again. You know, you've got mm-hmm. Greg and. Uh, Archie and stuff like that all starting to push through as well. So there's, there's there was loads loads of names starting to come through um, now, which is which is great. So I'm sure at some point it's going to go. Somebody's going to get it. Um, mm. Somebody's going to get it. Now before we move on to like Olympics and looking back at 
that sort of stage of your career. I've got to ask, we're, we're two English guys here. We're not going to get it. But <laughs> what's it like racing in Glasgow while representing Scotland? Like, how special is that? Oh, that was wild. Um, I think I think that's maybe one of the things that made it so difficult as well to live up to. Because it's like, how am I going to beat that? Mm. You know, how 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 do you, how do you compete with that? Um, you know, I rem- I'll never ever forget that whole day for the two hundred breaststroke because it was all just a big unknown. And in the final, um, it, Callum Tate was seeded third. Michael was seeded second into the final, and I was seeded first into the final. So it was like three Scots back to back walking out, and you know I got the chance to hear both, both you know names get called out in front of me and hear both crowds, um, you know before I even got to walk out. So, God, my legs are shaking thinking about it now. But I just remember being behind the behind the, the curtains and like you know like right get the music off and like I'm like shaking. You know I was listening to Dire Straits, Walk of Life on the way out. And I was like, right, right, come on, turn it right down, turn it right down, you need to hear this. And uh, God, there was nothing like it. It just, you felt it right in you, you properly felt it in you. And looking up and seeing all the all the flags down the side of the pool. Um, you know, I didn't show any emotion as I walked out there, but I was bricking it and I was so <laughs> excited. You know, I barely slept the night before, I was that excited for it. Um, I probably haven't experienced excitement like it ever again until probably Birmingham. Um, because again, I was just so comfortable in my own skin and comfortable with who I was, and you know, I wasn't there for anything else other than fun. I suppose it can go either way because some people feel too much pressure because it's a home Olympics or home games, whatever it is. But then you're on the other side of the spectrum where it looks like you thrive off it. Like you just said, Birmingham, I mean, of course, Glasgow as well. Is that does that actually bring about better performances from yourself? Yeah, potentially. Um, you know, potentially I didn't build it up, you know, that's one of the things I've reflected on quite a lot in my career was like, you know, maybe did I build up the Olympics too much? Did I give it too much headspace? Um, because I never performed at the Olympics to how I felt like I could have. Um, so, potentially, um, I just felt more relaxed there, you know, it was more okay. predictable. It wasn't as big, um, you know, I guess overall. Um so I, I don't know, but I, I genuinely just felt comfortable. Um, and it came down to, to really simple things, like, you know, being on the team with just people that you grew up with. You know, I didn't grow up going to champs or anything like that down south. You know, I didn't I didn't do any of that. I, I went to my first uh, nationals after I went to European juniors. You know, I didn't, I'd never been to British youth champs until the summer of 2012 after I'd been to Belgium for juniors. <laughs> So like I'd I'd never done it, so I never grew up with anybody from down south. I only knew Scottish folk, so there was something that was just more personal about it. I think mm. okay. potentially, so it just felt like it was just known. I just understood it, and I felt understood. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to explain why saying all right doesn't mean how are you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's almost it it takes out the. I don't know, it gives you that tiny mental energy edge. Is that me? Like, to know, just that you're entirely comfortable in the, your own surrounding. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. Definitely, definitely felt like there was a wee bit of an edge. And it's nice, it's nice to have that rivalry. Because again, like I said, all I ever wanted as a young boy was to compete for Scotland. That's all I ever wanted. I was just a wee boy from the Vale of Leaven that wanted to swim for Scotland. And he had no business being there, but that's what he was going to do. You know, that's, See, this is this is yeah. why I say us two English boats will never get it. That's not an English swimmer's mindset. It's always swim for Britain. 
like mm-hmm. in this country but it's just different up there it really is just different yeah like don't get me wrong like i'm very proud to to swam for for gb and mm. i have done for most of my career swam for gb and you know it was it's definitely one of the greatest privileges of my life to put that on you know the first hat that i got with my, my name on the side of it was a gbr hat for the mm. world champs in 2013 and you know again that was one of those small goals as a swimmer to be like i want to have a hat with my name on it and you know the first time you get it you're like i'm pumped for this this is like you know the first time you get you know your your, your name on the jerseys you know as the first team or whatever mm. it is for, for you know it's the same thing it's just it's a proper it's it really is a privilege it really is a privilege and it's one that again i, I am very very grateful for everybody that i met through sport and the opportunities that it's given me yeah. Well, you briefly mentioned before the Olympics and how it didn't quite live up to your expectations. Mm-hmm. So let's touch on that a tiny bit further then. So now time's passed. Mm-hmm. Is it a bit more of a positive reflection? Like, is it, I, like, I've gone to an Olympic Games. That's a huge thing for a swimmer. Yeah. Do you know, I was actually, I was talking about this probably not longer than two days ago. And... Okay. You know, I couldn't be happier that you know I, I don't have an Olympic medal. Um, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you know? I don't think it would have made me a better person. And for me, I think that's all that matters to me right now. Now that you- I'm not involved in sport, it's like it seems like the biggest thing at the time, and it absolutely is. And tell you what, see if I could go back and train again the way that I did, I would still try and win one. I would that that's the goal, it's the ultimate. Like I'm not saying oh win an Olympic medal because I never got one, I'm bitter and you know, I'm glad I never got one. It's like I would still go back and train my ass off to try and get an Olympic gold medal and to try and break that world record. I would do the same thing. The only thing I would change is taking those time at that time off in twenty fifteen and saying everything else I would do the exact same way. Like but that now that I reflect back up reflect back on it and look at where I am in my life, I don't think it would have made me a better person mm. if yeah. I had one, and I don't, th- I don't see anything else mattering more than being a person, being a human being, and you know, contributing to something that is isn't yourself. Yeah, it's all. It's almost if we look back on like where we started the conversation of um, finding purpose and mm-hmm. struggling after success at the Commonwealth Games. It's almost that you've now reflected and said okay to be a better person maybe the olympic failure is a very strong word for somebody who's gone to olympic games but maybe the the missed expectation of the olympic games was what was needed to make you who you are now essentially grow character yeah exactly and should you have succeeded maybe you wouldn't be like as strong as you are as a person now like that that sort of mindset i think that's that's kind of how i feel like you know I feel happy with who I am. You know, I don't feel like I have anything to prove to to anybody, which which is a really nice place to be in at 29 years old. You know, I don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody in terms of that type of stuff. You know, all, all I have to do is to prove that I'm a good human being and that's all I want to do. All I want to do is, is be that person. Um, and that's genuinely how I feel, is I feel like, you know, it was a struggle. I did struggle off the back of Rio. I found that whole year very, very challenging mentally. Um, you know, training for an Olympic Games, I mean, there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to qualify. But it was, again, it wasn't about qualifying. It was all about <clears throat> more than that. Mm. 
you know, there was there was a lot on it. And the thing again, I'm not going to sit here and criticise Adam either because, you know, it, uh, we need that sort of camaraderie and that sort of friction in order to create something special. Um, but you know, it was it was difficult at the time as a young man to watch somebody else who you trained near at the same age as you, at the same stage as you, start to get those things that you want, and you're just kind of stuck down here. It it just it's it was all just this big thing that was just like it was really quite challenging. It was quite it wasn't fueled by jealousy or anything, but it was very much like, God, like how how do I get there? Like that's what I want and I feel like I'm capable of that. How do I get there? And it was just constantly thinking these things through and it did it did become quite a challenge off the back of Rio. That whole year was a bit of a mess for both me and uh, me and Craig, <clears throat> to be honest, because not neither of us knew really until the holding camp who was actually going to be swimming the two hundred breaststroke. Um mm. it was just you know, he qualified for it at the game at the at the championships, but then I won the Europeans five weeks later or something. It was like you know, it was kind of a carrot dangled on the string in front of us for the whole season to the point where we got to the Olympic Games and both of us were just absolutely exhausted in terms of, you know, trying to outperform each other and training and in racing. It was just this whole thing. And, you know, <clears throat> we spoke about it. We went out for coffee at the time because I remember stuff coming out in the papers about it. And, you know, we spoke about it and we're, we were always really amicable about it. And, you know, we are good friends now. Um, well, we always were good friends, you know, but I mean, at the time, it was just like, there was this dynamic that had been created by the powers that be that made things quite tough. So there was a lot more at play in that year than just swimming at Olympic Games, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as clear cut as that, to be honest. Mm. So saying everything that you've just said, uh, obviously heading into this summer, we're going to have the Paris Olympics with yeah. what, what I assume will be more members of Team GB of having their first Olympics, would you say there's any lessons you tell them from your own experiences? Um, <clears throat> so I had a really influential coach, um, Rob Greenwood. Um, he is hands down one of the best coaches I've ever had, easily. And when I first moved to Stirling and I spoke to him, he was like, I want you to be like a sponge everything that you do right now you're a little crumpled up sponge and I'm going to drop you into this world and I want you to take in everything I don't want you to forget a thing I want you to remember everything you hear everything you see everything you witness everything you do I want everything to be stuck in there and then see eventually see when you lift that sponge out see if it drains all the rubbish all the rubbish comes out of it and you keep what is useful. Everything that stays in that sponge is what you need. So I want you to take in everything, lift it out, and then everything that you're left with is what you need, and that's where you're going to be you. You're going to be equipped. We don't know how long it's going to take, but be a sponge. Um, and that's the advice I would give to any swimmer at any stage, um, all the way through their career, because it's always the way I viewed mine. I just tried to always imagine that. Like I was quite a visual person, so I always tried to imagine that. And uh, it's, it's a mindset that I, I felt lent itself to more of a growth mindset in terms of everything that you do is an opportunity for learning, um, whether it is success or failure or <clears throat> just a regular day at the pool, regular day at training, you know, just trying to just imagine yourself as a sponge. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and whether I was able to embody that every day of my career, I, <laughs> I don't know. But I did try. I did try. So again, that's it's one of the things that I tried to say to people in, in Tokyo when I felt more comfortable and, and, and things like that. Like some of the, the guys who were new on the team was to just be like, look, try and take it all in. Try and take it for what it is, you know. It's mm. it's just a big building with a bed mm. in it. It's mm. all it is. It's not a village. It's just a big building with a bed in it, the shoes. Right? Yep. It's got some bunting around it. Some <laughs> it's got some bunting and it's got some fancy little bunting bikes outside. Just try and take it and try and enjoy it. Um and again it's just another swimming gala. Um <clears throat> Wasn't it Adam that said that there's no colour for pressure or something along those lines? You you create your own pressure when really it's just another it's just another lane, it's just another yeah. two hundred brush in your case or a hundred brush whatever it is. And so yeah, you, you plant these sort of seeds in your head when actually you don't really need to. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, of course, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Interesting analogy. Uh, yeah, totally. Um you do, you definitely build up nobody puts more pressure on you than you do yourself. Like mm. And that, that's the way it should be. Like, I in an ideal world, like people can, you know, try and put pressure on you, but you just don't bow down to it. Like, listen, I know what I want. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. I know how much pressure's on me to do it because it's my task. <laughs> like, what what you say doesn't impact me one bit. Ideally, that's the way that it would go because then you know you would always have focus. Um, <clears throat> but again, that's why I try and say like be a sponge because then if you can walk away having, you know, with a full sponge, you can reflect on it and drain some of that stuff out that you go, actually, it wasn't as big as I expected. You know, I didn't need to build it up to be this big thing. So I'm going to get rid of that. I don't need that. Now I know what it is. Um, that's that's the way that I would try and imagine it. Speaking of like lessons after the Olympics then, you said it was hard for you after Rio and the disappointment of that game. So what was it that helped you get to your next Olympic Games through that cycle, through lockdowns, through everything, to get to Tokyo and then Birmingham Commonwealth Games? What was it that helped you essentially not stop swimming in that moment? Um, to be honest, it's something that it's 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 a difficult one to answer, really. To be honest, um, there was a time during COVID I thought that I would stop swimming, um, but if I'm honest, like reflecting back, I was just very unhappy with my life as it as it was. To be honest, you know, I was in a relationship that was failing; it wasn't working, um, and you know, I think COVID done a lot of people dirty like that. Um, you know, it's just in. It just it's just one of those ones at the time I just wasn't happy and the only thing that I felt comfortable with was sport. You know, it was it was a place of just real like this is this is who I am. Like I don't have much other identity outside of this. You know, so sport really kept me kept me focused. It gave me purpose. It gave me a reason to you know to actually get up in the morning and stay healthy and want to be better and things like that. So I felt like. Like that was the main part, but then there was also there was unfinished business for me in the pool. Like I didn't I didn't want to leave. You know I always kind of said right from the get go. You know I was looking at it. I was like I'd love to go to you know three Commonwealth Games. You know initially it was supposed to be South Africa. I was like yeah I want to finish there. Like it'd be great to go to three Commonwealth Games. I think that'd be amazing. You know I'd be twenty nine at the time so. We'll see how we go, and if I, if I've got more in the locker, I've got more in the locker. Let's just see how we go. Um, 
you know. So I think off the back of COVID, um, again, it was just it was probably more so like the 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 team, to be honest. Like, okay. see the 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 team that we had in Sterling, like I love those guys. Like I genuinely do, with like wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it makes me feel quite emotional to think about it. Like those guys, they're like my actual family. You know, and it's, it's it's one of the things that's a real challenge walking away from sport is like you know schedules don't line up and you are working. You know, I work shifts, so it's 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 very difficult. And you know, it's those those guys got me in the pool and through. Those guys got me through, um, and it got me through my first retirement as well and back into the water. Um, so. I think really, to be honest, it was the camaraderie probably that got me through to, to Tokyo um, mm. and more than anything else, um, just the, the want to, to feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself again. Like, I think it was a real transition in my life, COVID, from feeling like I was satisfying my own my own kind of selfish needs. You know, I felt quite, quite selfish for a long time because, you know, I was getting paid you know, UK sport money to go and satisfy my own needs, you know, and it, it felt like, you know, what am I actually, like, what am I actually contributing here? Like, what what do I actually contribute? And, you know, it's something I really struggled with during COVID, which inspired me to go back to uni, actually, and have an opportunity to research it, um, which I ended up writing my dissertation on it as well. But, um, you know, it's... The, the community, the camaraderie for me, the team aspect, the feeling of being part of something more and not just satisfying your own needs got me back in the pool and kept me going through to Tokyo and to Birmingham. Yeah, it's interesting you, you say about like Sterling. I've, I've been lucky enough to spend a day up there with Steve and Bradley and Duncan. Mm-hmm. And you just, it's just fun. Like the whole yeah. spirit around that squad is like, it's not a. Co- as I know it, it's not a coach-swimmer relationship. It's it is family the way they run yeah. things up there, and it's really special to see. And I would say maybe it came out and like all those lessons that you said you learned coming out of COVID, like the camaraderie that came out the most, almost for the British public to see at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, like the mm. way you were inspiring the whole of the Scotland team. It mm. something felt very different from the the Ross Murdoch we saw on TV at that moment and and I'd go back to ISL and what we saw at London Raw like mm. I don't know you say you're an introvert it didn't feel like it at that moment it felt like you were driving teams forwards it's 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 the thing that you know again COVID changed me a lot because I realised it was probably during that time that I realised like I'm not an Olympic medalist at this point like those days are probably behind me and you start to wrestle with that mentality um, it's something that is a real real challenge and it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to be part of this team but I'm not going to be contributing to, you know, what what, what the board wants. The board wants a medal tally. So if I'm not going to be contributing to what the board wants, can I contribute to what the team wants? What does the team want? What like, what does the team need? You know, they need, a, they need someone, they need a team player, they need someone that's going to show up. And, you know, someone that I'm actually really grateful for um is Mel Marshall and you know Mel kept me very involved although we had Adam and Wilbs um, you know they are obviously 
the two swimmers who are going to be swimming that really like no sh- no shadow without there was there'd be two backstrokers in the room two flyers in the room and a couple of freestylers and more probably more like four freestylers in the room because you know you never quite knew where that event was going to go but there was three breaststrokers in the room and I was always involved in the four by one medley chats even though I wasn't going to be on the team that there was a like you know I always had the mentality that I was going to try and get back on it and you know obviously trying to come second to Adam or trying to win you know I would always try and win the race but you know the reality was I probably wasn't going to but Mel always kept me in the room and you know that made me feel like I had value to give to the team for something like that so I do appreciate you saying that that I was helping drive the team forward because my mentality changed that's the way that it went it went from being you know I'm here to try and achieve this while also being part of this team it was no I'm a part of this team and I'll die for this team like that was that was my mentality um, you know I wrote a post on uh, off the back of Comedy Games last year about what I wrote on the team board and that's exactly what I wrote I can't remember exactly what it was um, but it was you know I just wanted to contribute to morale and getting people through and, and trying to bring out the best in people um, so there was a really big mindset shift in Covid and then off the back of um, ISL season 3 there was a huge, huge mindset for me when I went through my first retirement and event that eventual sort of transition in my life as well. It was a huge transition in my life at the same time. So I went through an awful lot during those sort of twelve weeks that I had off before I came back. But yeah, that's that's the way that it went was trying to be that team player. Mm. It's very interesting because we always pose the question on YouTube, on Instagram, like is swimming a team sport? And nine times out of ten. Well, literally 90% of people always say it's an individual. But actually, what you've just said actually helps our argument saying that it is a team sport because without your inputs, your, your, your celebrations and all that sort of stuff and encouragement, actually that builds morale, which then in turn increases performance. So it, it, it does help in that respect. And it's interesting because your celebrations at the Birmingham Commonwealth Games, I mean... The commentators were absolutely <laughs> going mad because of them, and yes, they were bronze medals, but arguably they were probably the best medals you've, I you'd won. I don't know if you agree with that, but they were amazing moments from from a spectator point of view. Thanks very much. They they were they they probably were the best medals that I ever won. Um, they're the ones that certainly meant the most to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously it's hard to top the gold in Glasgow just from the shock and you know in terms of you know I finished number one in the world that year there was no denying that was my best ever performance mm. but in terms of the ones that I enjoyed the most it was like you know like and I, I, don't, I don't know how I did Glasgow I don't know I just turned up every day and done what I was told 2022 was different that mm. that that was a return back to the mentality of me when 2012 as a mentality that I hadn't had for a long time but it was more focused. It wasn't this just anger, 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 like outside, like, you know, undirected. It was just like laser focus, like tell me what I need to do and I will turn it on when it needs to be turned on. And it just felt like it was all all going. I definitely agree that it is a team sport, 100%. You know, I, it's it's one of those things that, again, it's something I, I talked about with, with people in the last few days. And, you know... They were kind of like, oh, what do you miss from sport? And it was like, it's funny how the mentality shift changes because see, when I was 18, 17, 18, you know, there was people 
And I remember sitting in a room and listening to Becky speak, right? And Becky was like, it's all about the journey. It's all about the people you do it with, right? And I was like, oh, come on. Surely it's about going to the Olympics. Like, you've got four Olympic medals. Like, mm-hmm. surely it's about that. Surely it's about getting the T-shirt, you know? And then you would listen to other people. You know, I had the pleasure of listening to sort of Lizzie Arnold as well. Mm-hmm. Again, very much like, you know, it's not just about the medals. It's all about, you know, all this other stuff. And it was just like, as a young sort of just, hyped up young guy you're like nonsense but see when you come to the other side of it it genuinely is the people that you've done it with that matter the most mm. it's all about the people you've done it with and you know there's nothing that got me more excited than when I would turn up to training there'd be a hard set on the board and we're like guys we are going to the trenches tonight <laughs> and you know one side of the pool to the other, people be cheering each other on in between reps. It's just like, you know, people are being sick in the gutters and, you know, we're still like cheering each other on and stuff. Like, that's what got me going. Mm-hmm. That proper ticked all the boxes for me. Um, and that was, that was 2022. That was yeah. 2022. It really clicked. It really clicked for me. And again, it's like I say, like those guys are like family to me and, you know, I don't speak to them very often. I don't see them very often. But, you know, I will never not appreciate them. Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of reiterate this from like, your, your bang average swimmer. It's not just... It doesn't need to come from an Olympian either. Like, me and Dan, we've both got married over the last, like, 12 months, 24 months. And yes. the group of friends that are there, swimmers. Like, without a doubt, they are swimmers. And we don't need to see them every day. We don't need to speak. We see them probably two times a year. Yeah. But those are without a doubt like the closest friendship groups because we've been on those journeys together so it's not just like yes you've said like becky Arnold, yourself these are people who've reached a pinnacle but there's people listening who might not get there me and dan never got there but mm-hmm. they can have exactly the same experience within swimming mm-hmm. yeah without a shadow of a doubt um you know you don't need to go to an olympics to mm. you know justify yourself as an athlete or as a swimmer like you know people it's it's one of these things you know having done what I've done in sport people come up to you and go oh yeah like I, I play sport but not to your level and it's like but that doesn't matter like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like seeing 20 years time like it doesn't it like it doesn't matter all that matters is the fact that you are out doing it and you are having positive experiences with people like you know sport changes people's lives every single day and whether it is going to an Olympic Games or whether it is the group of friends that you come away with Regard you achieve the same thing, and that's all that's important, yeah. Um, yeah. in my opinion. Um, you know, maybe that's because I didn't get an Olympic medal. Maybe if I got one, I would think slightly differently. But um, no, genuinely, um, I do. I do feel like it's 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 those things. It's it's the little stories. It's like mm. the the playing cards. You know, mm. what we we your teammates in in the thing, or you know, in Tokyo we. We we broke a bin, like one of the little bins that was in in the room, and we, we sort of we put it up on the door frame, and we put like a backboard on it, and we were playing like you know we had all these plastic bottles, we're scrumping up plastic <laughs> bottles, and we would come back, you'd open up the door to get into the room, there'd be like plastic bottles firing at you, like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so it's like it's just it's just wee things like that, you know, and the little things that you remember, like I don't I remember a lot of the swims, like I did a lot of watching of the swims that week as well, but it's the little things that you remember most. It's all it's all the things in the room, like, you know in in the evenings we would go back and we would have this like uh, different type of tea. It was like a, a a bedtime tea or something like that. But you would put um 
cherry juice in with the tea. So you'd have this tea and you'd put the cherry juice in it. <laughs> and uh, we'd go, what does that smell like? It smells like something that we all know. Nobody could put their finger on it. And Dino's like, I've got it. Spag ball. And we're like, it is spag ball. This tea smells exactly like spag ball. And it's, it's like, it's stuff like that that you remember. It's just wee stupid things. And like, you know, maybe you have to be there to find it funny. But God, like, it's something that will live with me forever. Mm. Yeah. I always remember Caleb Dressel after his five goals in Tokyo. You think five goals, Christ, you've, you've made it, you know, you've yeah. done it. But then his, his highlights of the week or, you know, nine days, whatever long, how long it was, was playing cards with the team. And that was it. That was that was his biggest highlight. And you think, yeah, but you've just won five Olympic medals. Surely that's you know that's what you train for. But no, that that was the highlight. And you think, that's really quite interesting. Of course, he's reaching the sort of end of his career. Maybe he's got that sort of change in mentality as well. It is very interesting, and it's the reason why you should always get. You know, you should speak to people who have gone through that sort of experience, like your Becky's, for example, to mm-hmm. try and feed that to these younger swimmers because they might have the same mentality. Probably they all have the same mentality of, well, the Olympics. That's the goal. And I'll do whatever I can to get there rather than not thinking of the journey and enjoying it mm-hmm. and getting your personality out there, which is what we're trying to do. So it's, sure. yeah, there's things like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've reflected a lot on the career of Ross Murdoch, but what's happening right now? What are you up to? And I, you're still connected to swimming, aren't you? Quite, quite a lot right um, now. A little bit, yeah. I'm still a little bit connected to, to swimming. Um, but right now, um, you know, Based off a lot of the reflections from my own career and my own sort of struggles through, you know, what was two retirements from sport, um, we've touched on it a bit. Um, I want to try and help people from retiring from sport. One of the the services that I really benefited from through my time in sport was what's called performance lifestyle um, advisors or performance lifestyle managers. And you know that that service that was that was provided there are from some of the, the kindest people that I've ever met, um, and you know they help give you perspective in times of, of you know you know uncertainty and things like that. And it's, it's a service that are truly truly valued. And you know I was lucky enough to have a performance lifestyle advisor when I was leaving sport and someone who I leaned on quite heavily. Um, in terms of you know. You know, when I was trying to get sort of job applications and these types of things set up and, and whatnot, and also again just for someone to speak to because I find that he had a lot of really good perspective. I'll give him a shout, Chris Volley. Um, you know, he was he was absolutely outstanding to me through both retirements. Um, and he still is. He's still a good friend to me now. And you know, I was lucky enough to have someone like that to lean on, and you know, it got me thinking. I was like. There's there's a lot of people out there who don't have the opportunity who are still athletes, you know, in my mind. Like like I said, you don't have to go to an Olympics or, you know, a Commonwealth Games or anything like that to really identify with your sport, you know. And, to, you know, it's a really difficult thing to sort of decide when it's time to walk away. Um, so ultimately that's where I want to try and support people is I want to be able to support people who would consider themselves as ex-athletes or athletes who are considering retirement. Um, as a place to, um, you know, someone who's sort of been through and done it, and I have opinions on it, and I have I have perspective on it, and you know I have the luxury that you know I feel settled in who I am away from sport, and that I've now found a new purpose that I want to dive into head first, um, and a purpose that, you know, it makes me consistent. You know, when I first left sport. You know, I would train here and there and, and stuff like that, but I couldn't 
I couldn't put in the same intensity. I couldn't put in the same, you know, the same energy to it. It just didn't give me the same kicks. And since I came up with, you know, the, this idea that is where I want to go and how I wanted to live my life, it's, you know, I wake up every day charged up, not only for trying to, you know, develop my video editing skills and putting up rubbish videos or whatever, like, because it's one of those things I'm not good at and I want to get better at and I want to, I don't want that to be the thing that would limit my ability to help people. Um, because ultimately that's the goal, is just to try and support people. Yeah, I mean, we've we've spoken about it for so many years, it seems like, actually, because there's no set pathway after you finish training. Let's say you've just gone to your limits, you've gone your 10 sessions a week, you've done your land training, whatever, it goes into it, and then suddenly, literally overnight, you then have nothing. And there's no routine, you don't have to get up in the morning, you can eat whatever you want, and there's no easy way of reducing it in a way there's no sort of like coach saying right you're now going to go from 10 weeks uh, twice 10 sessions down to like i don't know five and mm -hmm. it's like an easy gradual come down almost if you like but um it's quite good that you're doing that and so beyond what we've already spoken about what sort of advice are you giving to these guys so it's it's the way that i, I, I look at it is you know who are you as an athlete you identify heavily with an athlete and this is again this is where I wrote my dissertation on at uni and one of the things that I found out that was you know through regard my feeling is, is regardless of you know what level you go through at sport provided you spend a lot of time within sport you learn a lot about yourself through successes and failures and through building relationships and dialogue so you learn a lot of different skills like soft skills life skills transferable skills you know they've got lots of different names but all different names for the same things and you know it's all these things that are applicable to place like workplaces it's why a lot of ex-athletes always end up in you know really high level jobs or in businesses you know look at what adam's doing and, and the, the ed baxter like look at what those guys are putting together like this is a high level operation both ex-swimmers like these guys are putting that together and, and it's no coincidence it's not a coincidence these guys are highly skilled individuals and it's through their ability that they've developed through sport that's my opinion on it and I'm sure they'd. I'm sure they'd appreciate that opinion because they are doing a great thing, you know. And I found that when you identify so closely with your sport and you you move through competitive environments, your ability to challenge those life skills gets even tighter and tighter and tighter to the point where you refine them. Um, mm. And you know, pushing yourself as hard as you can, you learn a lot. And for me, it was more about you know when you leave sport you remove that identity that piece of your identity goes away and you know what do you identify with now like who are you now um <clears throat> but the thing that really drives your identity is you know first of all you need to have a purpose you need to know what your purpose is why are you here why are you doing what you're doing you know i am swimming because my purpose is i want to be an olympic gold medalist great that's brilliant okay well who are you now ross you know that's that's the question that you wrestle with. That's really what happens. It's like, oh, you know, you do eat what you want, you do drink what you want, you do, you know, train when you want. That happens and you will go through that. Um, but at some point, you need to remind yourself of who you are, what you've done, and what you're capable of. And let's redefine your purpose, find you some direction, and get yourself a new identity away from sport. That's what I want to try and achieve is successful transitions away from sport to allow you to be successful as a person and not just as an athlete 
And that feels like a very good place to start rounding up this podcast, I feel. Um, for anyone who is interested in speaking to you about that sort of mentoring side of things, is there a place that they can find you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, reach out to me on, on Instagram. Um, I'm trying to put up videos daily on you know my, 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 my training and what I'm doing. I'm, I'm training, so I'll tell you he's here. This is the exclusive for, <laughs> for, my, for my birthday in January. I'm turning 30. Um, so I'm running 30 miles um, I'm going to be running from Stirling to Balmaha um, and I'll be filming my, with myself along there and I'm going to be going along with uh, a few of my friends some old swimming friends and you know just some good mates as well that I've met along the way um, so I'm going to be doing that so I'm currently training for that um, so I'm out running pretty much six days a week at the moment um, so you can find me on there usually with some some stories, posting some things about food, and I'll be developing my content skills. So maybe <laughs> maybe you'll see some better videos on the posts as well. Um, but yeah, Instagram it's just Ross Murdoch underscore. Um, you, you know that's where you can find me. Um, and yeah, trying to be the ex athlete coach. Love it. Awesome. Um, now. Before we finish this podcast, we do always ask our elite guests some quick fire questions. So let's run through sure. those to finish. Uh, what was your favourite event in swimming? Favourite event that I did personally? Yeah. Mm. Favourite event I did personally was the 200 breaststroke, but my favourite event is the 4x200 freestyle. Oh, okay. I nice. love to watch that event. Yeah. Hands down, <laughs> the best event for me. Uh, who was your swimming idol? My swimming idol, um, you know, it's hard to look past Kitajima from from my age. You know, it's hard to look past that. Um, you know, I always thought that we might never see another uh, swimmer that would win a hundred breast and a two hundred breaststroke at the same Olympics ever again. But you know, maybe we'll see a new one uh, coming soon. But um, yeah, Kitajima was an absolute legend and still is. Um, and he just I've met him once and he's just a stand up guy. <laughs> nice. Uh what's your proudest moment in your swimming career? My proudest moment in my swimming career was turning up on a Tuesday night after my first retirement and asking to come back. Um swallowing the frog and coming back and asking my coaches if they would if they'd take me on six weeks out, exactly six weeks out from trials, and if they would take a chance on letting me back in the squad. Um because that was a time where I really, really needed them and I asked for help and that was a really difficult thing for me. And, you know, they took me back, which I'm very, very pleased about, but I'm just proud of myself, the fact that I took that opportunity and it, it really it changed my life. That's an amazing answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's hard to go on to the next questions after that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your hardest set you've ever done? Oh, um, difficult to pick a pick, pick a, an exact set that I've done, but I remember there was a set that Steve put me through, um, short course, and I think it was three or four, three hundreds breaststroke best. It wasn't even like best average, no, no, best from the get go. Just burn it, burn it up, and I remember doing the first one and dying and being like, how. <laughs> How? <laughs> that was uh, that was that was pretty hard. Um, there was there's definitely a few like there's definitely other longer, more grueling ones, but that one was just like 
a mental battle. Like, I don't know if I can commit as hard as that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, our final question, it gets to know you away from a swimming pool. If you have gone on a road trip, there's three spaces in the car. You can take friends, family, celebrity, anyone you want. Who would you take with you? <clears throat> oh, I really, really like music. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to... I'd love to see Keith Richards in the car um, from the Rolling Stones. I would love to hear about that journey. Um, you know, as you know about me now, I love a story. So anybody that can tell a good story, um, spin a yarn, I would have them in the, in the van. So I think I'd have Keith Richards probably in there. Um, Theo Vaughn. I think Theo Vaughn is absolutely high value. I think he's hilarious. He's a great comedian. Um and it would just be such an interesting place to have him in there. Um, and a third person to have in. Uh, you know what, I'm going to take James Wilby. Wilby's coming along for the ride because we're going to write a book one day, apparently. Um, you know, <laughs> we've had some mad stories and... Uh, that would just be another one. That'd be another chapter to add to the book. <laughs> Man, awesome. Girl. Well, Ross, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this evening. I, um, I'm kind of humbled that you've shared the stories that you have mm. with us over the past hour or so. I'm inspired. Um, yeah. It's a shame it's so late at night. Otherwise, I'd probably be working through on creating one for us. But no, yeah, really appreciate it. And you never know, one day we'll come up to Scotland and share like an open water swim with you up there. That would be um, fantastic. 100%. Just name the time. And just name the time and I've got the place. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's quite cold up there, so I don't know. <laughs> but no, no. Honestly, that was a very interesting episode. And if there's people still listening now and are feeling inspired, then um, you're not alone because I think me and Scott have taken mm. something away. It's just a different mindset altogether. Of you know, Olympic gold is obviously the the heights that you want to go for, but it's not about that. It's the journey, enjoying it, mm. and um, yeah. Hopefully, there's some messages to take away. So thank you very much for that, Ross. Thanks very much, team. Oh, Dan, 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 Dan. Um, we usually do quite a thorough reflection on these podcasts, but mm. I'm walking away from Ross's conversation that we've just had a little bit lost for words in terms yeah. of the journey he shared, the lessons that can be learned from it, and how am I meant to sum up Oh, An hour-long podcast when he's just eloquently put everything perfectly that everyone needs to learn from. Yeah, that's the problem. It's almost like you're just we're just going to re repeat everything that he mm. just said. It's honestly really inspiring. Yes, he didn't reach the heights of Olympic medalist, but the stuff that he's taken away from his journey has been massive. And do you know what the biggest thing, and this was right at the start of the podcast as well, they said, I actually am happy that I didn't mm. get an Olympic medal. Whoa. That 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 shook me. I was like, what what are you talking about? And then he elaborated and then it made perfect sense. It's honestly very inspiring and I hope everyone listens to that whole hour because I think a lot of people will take something from that because that was really, yeah, really inspiring. Yeah, super nice guy. Um mm. and yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly appreciative that he has shared those journeys, stories, lessons. Um with us and with everyone who is listening um mm, if yeah. you are 
someone who you think could benefit from what Ross is now doing and mentoring people who are leaving yeah. sport, not just swimming sport in general and helping them find their purpose in the way of the world. I would thoroughly recommend speaking to him because not, not only has he got so many life lessons, learned, but he's one of the nicest guys we've spoken to. Um, well, I was, I was going to say, even off air, when we stopped recording, he, started, he went on for another maybe 10, 15 minutes, basically yeah. explaining what he's doing and what the, he plans to do and how he isn't in it for the money. He's doing it as a hobby because if he helps one person, then, you know, he's all, all about purpose. And if his purpose is to help one people, one person, 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, then he feels like he's doing a good job. So he is definitely one to, to speak to about those sort of things, Not not even just like after your career of as an athlete i think you could speak to him at any point because he's just a great person to speak to and makes a lot of sense and he says it very clearly he's really well spoken and uh i'm very glad that he came on a podcast actually that is a really good episode i'm really happy about it i hope um british swimming have listened to this and yeah. after paris before all the athletes come home and they all disperse around the country i kind of hope they get ross in to have a chat and yeah. just to have a chat like we have just had and for him to present his learnings after a competition like that life lessons and maybe it will help some with a transition out of the sport if that is the mm. case for them some transitioning after a disappointing games and some maybe finding purpose after success i think he might be the man to speak to the speak to the masses after yeah. an olympic games i, I couldn't that that would go well i couldn't agree more absolutely yep so that just about rounds up this week's episode of the Propulsion Swimming Podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or leave a comment on YouTube. And me and Dan will be back in seven days' time. Yeah, thank you for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you on the next one. You've been listening to the Propulsion Swimming Podcast with Scott and Dan. We want to thank you for joining us and invite you to subscribe to the show as well as checking out the Propulsion Swimming YouTube channel for weekly tutorials and videos to get your swimming fix. We will be back next week. Until then, we'll catch you on the next one.